Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series for 2008. Now here is Pastor Scott Bloyer. Okay, let's think about this. We're talking about failure. We're talking about what it means to fail or the fear of failure. And as we just watched, we saw Michael Jordan talking about being a failure. Now, if, any, if you know anything about sports, if you know anything about basketball, you know that Michael Jordan is not considered a failure. I mean, the guy just took amazing shots. He, he commanded the game, right? Michael Jordan's talking about his pain, his failure. Do you know Babe Ruth, at the time he held the record for most home runs, he, almost held, he also held the record for most strikeouts? You know, you have all these things going on, but we look at, I mean, Michael Jordan got cut from his sophomore basketball team. Now, how would you like to be the coach that is known for cutting Michael Jordan from your basketball team? It's like, I'm the coach. (laughs) I'm stupid. You know, it's just. You got the, we have failure that goes on. You know, I mean, look at the game. You look at people that play the game. And Michael Jordan was aggressive, but he failed. He made mistakes. He had to walk through life and understand that there were areas that he had to work on. Notice it says that he walked through his pain and the pressure of what it meant to succeed. I mean, each and every one of us knows that, that in some point in time of our life or in our life, we have made mistakes. We failed. We, we've had problems. We've, we've walked through that. See, uh, when I was growing up, in my home, I, my dad is a Marine, okay? He, he was in the Marines, and, uh, and his comment sometimes to us was always this, we don't run, and we don't hide. Now, as a high school boy, as a middle school boy, I've got to be honest, there were times in my life that I wanted to run, and I wanted to hide. You know, those, <laughs> there were a lot of those times, okay? I'm the oldest of four kids, I have two younger brothers, and I have a younger brother by the name of Clay. And Clay, let's just say Clay had his issues in school. Okay? <laughs> my, my dad and mom used to get phone calls from the school about Clay. And, you know, they, well, all of us. I shouldn't just point <laughs> the finger at Clay. But he's the easiest target. And so um, Clay one time got this phone call from this teacher. Um, or my dad got this phone call about my brother Clay uh, from this teacher. And, of course, my dad's like, the teacher calls. He's like, could you please come in? We need to talk about Clay. He's like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Used to this. Hung up the phone. They went into the, and as they got to the school, they walked in and the teacher is saying, you know what? I just don't get this. You know, you've got, your son gets in trouble in class and, and he just, you know, he just kind of blows it off. And, you know, he doesn't really seem remorseful or, you know, he just kind of, you know, I, I just don't get it. And my dad says, well, because in our house, if you do something wrong, you're not allowed to pout. You're not allowed to whine or cry. You deal with it and you move on. See, we weren't allowed to run and we weren't allowed to hide. When we made mistakes, when we had failure, we dealt with it and we moved on. We, we, we were able to pick ourselves up and move through it. My dad pushed us constantly about in those areas. It wasn't one of those things where, you know, you made a mistake and you went home and you cried about it and you sulked about it and those kind of things. Uh-huh. That didn't happen in my house. In fact, growing up, I remember my dad, he said, you want to pout, go to your room. No one wants to look at your face. <laughs> okay. You know, you know, one of those things. I know that I'm a failure. I mean, honestly, I'm a failure. Just ask my wife. Okay. Ask my kids. They will tell you. I don't know how many times I've walked into my house or walked into one of my kids' room and I went, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And usually my daughters look at me and go, yeah, we're praying for you. You know, it's, 
It's one of those things, you know, we're all failures. At one point in time, we make mistakes, we, we fall down. In fact, you know what, I want you to understand that this is a biblical principle. You know, the statement where it says, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, that's biblical. That's not a sporting issue. That's a biblical, that's a biblical thing because God says, you know what, I use failures. And I want you to understand that each and every one of us is an amazing failure. I know that many of you are going, amazing failure. I don't get that. Because what God does with that failure is amazing. How he works through that is amazing. I know some of you have come this morning and you're hurt by maybe a relationship failure. Maybe an addiction failure. Maybe just failure. And you're struggling through that. You know, I want you to understand that God loves you and he wants to speak to that. He wants to talk to you. He wants to let you know that you are an amazing failure. He wants to let you know that he cares about you, that he wants to use you to do great things. Great things. Uh, uh, one of the things that I struggle with, is, especially when it comes to being part of a body of believers and being part of the church, is I am sick of mediocre. I am sick of mediocre. I don't want to say, well, we did okay. It was all right. I don't want to stand before God and go, mm, it was okay. Because I don't think God expects us to get, eh, right? I tried. <laughs> I wonder if God sometimes goes, suck it up. <laughs> I know that's what happens in my house. You know? I used to have a thing actually on my cell phone that I used to use. It was the, you know, the red circle with the slash in it and the word whining was behind it. <laughs> And in my home, I had certain people would be talking at the dinner table, and I'd just go, <laughs> and of course, my wife would go, put that away. I'm like, <laughs> and she'd go, Jesus loves you. you know, so no. But it's, it's one of those areas where we've got to say, okay, what does God expect? What is he, how is he going to use these failures? What is he going to do to walk through this? Because we are amazing failures. And there's a beautiful picture of that in the Bible. And he uses the man named Peter to, to show that to us. Now, I want you to understand, if you've gone to church, if you've read the biblical stories about Peter, most of the time we look at Peter, Peter and go, man, he messed up. He's a failure. I mean, that guy, you know, just every time he did something wrong. Yeah, but... God used those failures to grow him, to, to motivate him, to give him passion, to direction. And you know what? I think he's doing the same thing with us. And so I want you to walk through with me this picture of Peter. I'm going to be using several different places in the Bible. And as we look at Peter, I want you to be able to see some different things. Now, I'm going to be using different verses from the message version. And I want you to be able to follow along with that. And so we're going to start with... Um, where Peter meets with Jesus in a different time. Okay, we're going to be talking about the time where Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water with Jesus. Okay, Peter was a fisherman. Peter knew what water was, right? Okay, he grew up being around water. No one had to discuss with him the physical properties of water and uh, having to identify that you can't walk on it, right? Right? They didn't have to go, well, you know, the molecular breakdown of the water. <laughs> Peter's like, I'm a fisherman. I sank before. Understand, right? So Jesus and Peter have this encounter. And I want you to look at it because I think a lot of times, especially me, I've looked at this and, and taken a different a point of view of it. So I want you to take a look at this with me, okay? We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. If you're using one of the Bibles that are on the chairs there with you, it's going to be page uh, 971, so you can follow along. 
But this is a picture of Jesus using failure, amazing failure. And I'm going to read from the message version because I like the way it lays it out. It says, at about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on water. They were scared out of their wits. A ghost, they said, crying out in terror. But Jesus was quick to comfort them. Courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. Peter suddenly, bold, said, Master, if it's really you, call me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come ahead. Jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. But when he looked down at the waves churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve and he started to sink. He cried, Master, save me. Jesus didn't hesitate. He reached down and he grabbed his hand. Then he said, faint heart, what got into you? The two of them climbed into the boat and the wind died down. The disciples in the boat, having watched the whole thing, worshiped Jesus saying, this is it. You are God's son for sure. Now, I want you to get this picture. We have all of these guys sitting in this boat. It's late at night. All of a sudden, someone comes walking across the water, you know? I, mean, I would love to see if this was a movie. Wouldn't that be cool? Just <laughs> all these rough guys. Ah, it's the ghost. You know, it's just... You know, it's all they're panicking and everything's going on. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, calm down, it's me. Notice this is one of the statements that we read over and over and over and over in the Bible. Don't be afraid. Or, restated, fear not. He says, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid. Peter says, okay, if it's you, have me come out in the water. If you read in the NIV and the New Living Translation, it says he commanded him to come out of the water. I'm wondering if Peter asked him to command him because he was a little afraid to get out of the boat. It's like, if it's you, Jesus, make me get out there with you. And Jesus says, come on. Now, I love the way the message version puts it out. It says he jumped out of the boat, right? He jumped, because again, Peter's a fisherman. He knows what water is. It's not like Peter stepped over the edge and went, that going to hold me? <laughs> he knew it wasn't going to hold him. So I, in this picture of my mind, I see Peter walking up the edge and going, <laughs> here we go, Boom! jumps over, and he lands. And he stops there. Wouldn't you want to know what was going through Peter's mind at that time? <laughs> oh, sweet. Okay, I don't know if they use that word, but you know. <laughs> He's standing there, and, he's, and all of a sudden, he starts walking towards Jesus, but then all of a sudden, he notices the things going on around him, and, and, and he starts to sink, and it says, notice that immediately Jesus was there, and he doesn't hesitate, and he says, what got into your mind? The question I have for you is, we look at Peter, and we go, oh, man, Peter blew it. He got focused on the waves and the water, and he, you know, he sank. The question I have is, where were the other 11 disciples? Still in the boat. Still in the boat. Peter got to experience what none of us have ever experienced. He walked on water. Now, you can't tell me he didn't experience God in an amazing way through his failure. Because then Jesus picked him up and they both walked back to the boat. It doesn't say he drug him back to the boat, right? <laughs> I'll just leave you down there. <laughs> you know, it's not one of those things. It's not like he's one of the guys water skiing that doesn't let go of the rope. You know, boink, boink, boink. It's not. Jesus picked him up and they walked back to the boat and they got in. And what happens when they get in the boat? All the disciples that were watching worshipped. Now, I have to think that Peter's worship was a lot different 
than the 11 still in the boat. Why? Because he had an amazing failure that showed how awesome God's power and strength was. If he would have never got out in the boat, would have he experienced it? No. 11 other guys sat there and went, oh, good job. Right? Peter was there. He experienced God. Now, Jesus also talked to Peter. He had this amazing failure opportunity. Jesus then tells Peter he's going to deny him three times. Jesus tells him, you're going to walk away from me. Now, Peter, who walked on the water, is now going, no, I'm not going to do that, man. You know, I, 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 I sank in the waves before. I'm not going to do that. So let's look at Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. Simon, I've prayed for you in particular that you not give in or give out. When you have come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Peter said, Master, I'm ready for anything with you. I'd go to jail for you. I'll die for you. Jesus said, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, Peter, but before the rooster crows, you will have three times denied that you even know me. Don't you think <laughs> that there was deflation <laughs> in Peter? Like, I mean, think about it. He's like, oh, man, I'll go to jail for you. I'll die for you. No, no, you're not. You're going to deny me three times. Do you see Peter going, sweet, right? <laughs> No, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't wrap this mind. You know, he's walked on water. He's seen the power of God. He's experienced it. And now Jesus is going, you're going to mess up again. And in fact, before this, we know that Jesus is, one, is the one that named him Peter. His name was Simon. He named him Peter, which means Petros, which means rock, the solid one. Okay? Why would the solid one deny me three times? Jesus, in fact, before, told them about when he was going to die on, deny on, the, or die on the cross, and Peter grabbed Jesus and walked him away and said, hey, Jesus, you know, you really shouldn't say that. You know, that's not good. And what does Jesus do? He turns to him and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Does anybody see the encouragement in that? Right? <laughs> it's like, Jesus, I'm here to protect you. Get behind me, Satan. Okay. <laughs> Love you. You know? What do you do? I mean, he was, he was there in this place, and Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen. And Peter says, no, I'm going to die with you. I'm going to fight for you. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, you know that Peter is the one that lashed out and cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. I read in one book, they said it's because Peter's aim was bad. He was actually aiming for his head and just got his ear. You know, he failed at even that part, right? <laughs> Jesus is like, <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it? This is wrong, though, but think about it. What if he would have done it? What if Jesus, how would have Jesus healed, you know, here, put that back on top. <laughs> I mean, he took the ear and healed it, but could you see all the disciples? Whoa. <laughs> you know, you've got this whole picture of Peter, but Peter's told he's going to fail. Then when it comes to happen, Peter's denial of Christ in Luke chapter 22, verses 56 through 62, it says this, one of the servant ma- or serving maids sitting at the fire noticed him then took a second look and said, this man was with him. And Peter denied it. He said, woman, I don't even know him. A short time later, someone else noticed him and said, you're one of them. But P- Peter denied it. Man, I'm not. About an hour later, someone else spoke up, really adamant. He's got to, be with, he's, he's got to have been with him. Look, he's got Galilean written all over him. <laughs> I want to know what that means. I mean, was it, you know, look, that dude's tattooed up, you know. <laughs> You know, he's wearing his leathers. You know, what, what is it that, I don't know, I'll just leave that alone. But, you know, 
And he goes on, and it says, Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And at that very moment, the last word hardly off his lips, a rooster crowed. Just then, the master turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered what the master had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went out, and he cried, and he cried, and he cried. And NIV version says he wept bitterly. Why? Because he knew he failed. He took it on the chin again. I mean, Peter was an amazing failure. What I think we usually step over is something I noticed this week as I was studying. Look back what it said in Luke chapter 22, 31 through 34. It says, when, you're, when you have come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Did you ever notice that? Jesus says, when you're done with the failure, you are going to be used to set everybody back on the path to make it right. Refresh your brothers. Now, I don't know about you, but I've read through this story, and I've seen movies about it, and there were two disciples that failed. One was obviously there for a reason to fulfill the prophecies of Christ's death on the cross, Judas. But what if, just what if, Judas when it went back and said, Jesus, forgive me. What if he didn't go hang himself and quit? What if? See, Peter wept bitterly. In fact, it, when Jesus' resurrection happens, um, Jesus even tells the women that were there, he says, I want you to go tell my disciples. And he says specifically, go get Peter. Go get Peter. And in the book of John, we have this point where Jesus and Peter meet up again after Jesus, his death, and after his resurrection. See, Peter, again, has experienced God's power, his strength. He's experienced miracles. He's experienced God's condemnation. He's experienced all of these things where he's saying, you know what? This is who I am. I'm a failure. I know it. What we're going to see now is he's going to experience something that is amazing, that is powerful, that is going to take his failure and make it huge. He's going to use him to do something great because I really believe God wants to do great things through us. And so Peter and, John, or, or, or Peter and Jesus meet up again. And in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 18, it says, After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Once more he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Notice it says Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. The truth is, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked, go wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will direct you and take you where you don't want to go. See, Jesus ju just took Peter and said, you know what? I believe in you. Feed my sheep. And some writers, they believe that he repeated it three times because how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. He wanted to say, you know that failure, that, that time you walked away? I am totally wiping that out. I am making it new. I am making you a new person. 
You are going to refresh the rest of the disciples. You are going to be my spokesperson. You are going to be that rock on which my church is built. He says, you know what? You are going to be the man. Notice he's called the rock. What happens when waves crash against a rock? Little pieces break off, but it doesn't disappear. See, Peter knew he had failed. Peter had walked away. He had gone back to fishing when Jesus comes and finds him. How many times do we do that? We make a mistake, we fail, we know what we've done, and we go right back to where we were. That's where God goes and grabs a hold of us. That's where Jesus says, you know what, I am gonna use this failure, I'm gonna use this hurt. We're gonna do something new with it. And in fact, if you go a whole book over into the book of Acts, guess who's standing there speaking for the church? Peter. Peter is. It's not James, it's not John. It's Peter. And Peter's standing there in Acts chapter 2, and and it says that he cut to the quick. Those who were listening asked Peter and the uh, the other apostles, brothers, brothers, so now what do we do? Peter said, change your life, turn to God, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So your sins are forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and your children, but also to all who are far away, whomever, in fact, our master God invites He went on in this vein for a long time, urging them over and over, get up while you can, get out of this sick and stupid culture. Peter's speaking, he's speaking with passion, with power, and he says, you know what? You gotta change. And in fact, it says that what Peter was saying, it cut them to the heart. The people were moved. Why is that? I believe it's because Peter understood what it meant to fail and be restored. Jesus is, or Peter is speaking from his heart. He is speaking from a person that has been forgiven, that has been given a new life. And Peter says, you know what? I'm going to take it for all it's worth. And he's speaking to these thousands of people. And the people respond to it. And they say, what should we do? He says, trust in Jesus. Why can he say that? Because he experienced it in the boat, or out of the boat, I mean. He experienced it by being restored. Peter is an amazing failure because he learned, he followed God's example and he says, you know what? I am a new person. I'm a new creation. I am going to go on and on. I'm going to speak to you about this. I mean, it's very clear. You know Peter's a pastor. You know he is. Read that last verse again. If you think about it, it says, he went on in this vein for a long, long time. Right? Right? He's, a pa- he's, pre- he's preaching with, he's talking about Jesus, his death, his resurrection. I don't think the people back then grabbed their watches and went, <laughs> your hour's almost up, <laughs> right? Oh, I'm sorry, wait, let me change that. They didn't grab their sundial. You're 45 minutes into a message. <laughs> change that up, right? That, that wasn't it, because he was speaking to their heart. God's spirit was moving upon these people. They were hearing something they'd never heard before. I think there are some of you in here that think you're a failure and you've never heard that God loves you right where you're at. That Jesus died for you. How can I say that? Because I'm a failure. 17 years ago, I chose to run to Jesus instead of the bottle. I chose to run to Jesus instead of get angry. I chose Jesus 
instead of using my fists to fight out of whatever I was in? How can I speak about failure? How can I speak about being an amazing failure? It's because I am one. How could Peter speak about that? Because he was one. Now, by no guarantee was he perfect. I mean, none of us are. But it's that experience, it's that, that, that movement of being new, that restoration that Peter says, you know what, you gotta have it too. You gotta have it too. And at the end, it says, get out while you can. Get out of the sick and stupid culture. <laughs> Do I really need to go there? Huh? Do I, let's look around at our world. Just watch MTV for 20 seconds, Right? Come on, just experience the mall for an hour, right? I love people watching. I do, I love it. You know, I walk around, I got daughters. We go shopping. I look at clothes or the lack thereof. I'm like, you're supposed to wear that rubber band? I don't get it, right? I think of the things that are going on. Now, and I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not getting those fashion designers. I'm not talking about that. You know, I'm talking about our culture. It's what's going, and he says, get out. Get out while you can. Peter says, don't live in failure. You don't have to stay there. You are able to move on. So the things that I want you to walk away with this morning, there are a couple of areas I want you to really take a look at. First thing is this. We gotta realize that when we're amazing failures, we can't do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot live our life on our own. We, can, we just can't. I know that when I do things on my own, it's going to get messed up. It's going to get messed up. I know that I tried to live my life on my own. You know when you've lived that life when your mom tells you that she's been praying for you so long and that she knew that you were going to end up in two places, either dead or in jail. I talked to my mom this last week. I, I have a blog. I do that blog thing, right? And my moms have been reading it, and I was doing one about my son and I and about some scriptural things that we've walked through. And she says, uh, she wrote a comment on it, and I, I'll be honest, it touched my heart because she says, you know what, you guys are both amazing men of God. You want to talk about a compliment when you go from death or jail <laughs> to man of God? It's like, wow. And I say that not because of me, because of the Jesus in me. I am an amazing failure. We can't do it on our own. We can't. Look at what it says in Matthew 5, 3. And I like this because it's in the message version. I want you to take a look at this. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount with our students and our small groups, and it says this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. I want you to circle end of your rope. Circle end of your rope on that insert. How many of you feel like you're at the end of your rope? That you've had to walk away from something. Maybe it's a job, a school, a relationship, or whatever. I mean, think about it. What if you feel like you're there? God says, you know what? It's exactly where I want you. Because that's where you're going to see me. That's where you're going to have to reach out to me. That's where the waves are crashing around your legs, and you're starting to sink. And Jesus says, I'm here. And he, without hesitation, pulls you up. An amazing failure. We can't do it on our own. Uh, the next thing is this. We're going to make mistakes. Know it. 
As we grow in our relationship with Christ, hopefully they become fewer and fewer, but we're going to make mistakes as we allow him to run our life and we don't run it. They're going to be fewer and fewer, but we're going to make mistakes. Nowhere in the Bible does it say once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your life is going to be perfect. You're going to be perfect. There's only been one perfect person, and he's the one that died on the cross. See, in Romans 3.12, it says they've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. No one's living right. I can't find a single one. See, God says, I am here for you. I know you're messed up. I know you're making mistakes. That's why I sent my son. So that you can become an amazing failure. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to live a life that's just walking through mistake after mistake because the next thing that happens is we have to live a life that's being restored. We have to show people what does it mean to have a life that is restored. We are to live a restored life. See, that's what Peter did after Peter walked through his failure, after he walked through his life. He was restored by Jesus. Jesus came and said, feed my sheep. Peter didn't go to his room and pout. He came out and he said, okay, i got to move on. He lived a restored life. Romans 7, 6, but now we have been released from the law. We died with Christ and we are no longer captive to its power. Now we can really serve God, not in the old way by obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way by the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit comes in and he gives you this new life. He restores you. He makes you new. He gives you power and strength. And he says, go. Don't sit in your room. Don't hide. Go. There is power in restored life. Peter showed that. He was an amazing failure. He spoke with passion. He spoke with desire. I mean, we have to live a restored life. Now, I've been in churches for a long time. I've, you know, I've noticed people, and I, I have to be honest, there are sometimes I wonder as we come together as a body of believers, as a family, and we sing about the Jesus who's given us that restored life, and I look at your faces and I go, do they really believe this? right? I think there are some people that show up and they're looking for this place where they're going to have some hurts healed and some hearts mended and they look around and they see angry people or they're so worried about whether or not they're going to wear the right clothes or say the right things or stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight for Jesus that they don't know, that they can understand that there's a God who loves them and cares for them. You know, our, our calling by God, our direction by God is to go and live a, a restored life. If we live in our failures, where do we go? So we have to live knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paying the price for our sins so that we might have a life, an amazing life. Now, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'll be honest, it doesn't mean your life is perfect and all of a sudden you win the lotto. And all of those things that went wrong in your house is now fixed. And the retirement you used to have is now back. You know, those kind of things. You know, it's not all that kind of stuff. It's, it's not that. What it is is Jesus says, you will never walk alone. Are you at the end of your rope? Because after you live a restored life, then we are to speak with power and passion. We speak with power and passion. That's what Peter did. I believe that he was able to cut them to the quick, cut them to the heart because he said, I've been there, done that, love you. You need it too. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, in the message it says, and then he told me, 
My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. See, God says, you know what? When, I am, when you are weak, I am strong. I honestly believe we think of the opposite. We focus too much on the handicap and not on the promise, not on the power, not on the strength. There's a, there's a group of men, they're called Team Hoyt. And if you've ever heard this story about Team Hoyt, it's a dad and a son, and the son is severely handicapped. But his son wanted to be part of a race, a running race. So the dad figured out this wheelchair, put his son in the wheelchair, and he ran the race. And he said, I saw in my son's face joy and happiness. Do you know that these guys have done the Iron Man together? Dad rode the bike with his son on the front. Dad pushed the wheelchair with his son in the front. Dad swam with his son in a boat attached to his back. I mean, pulling along. They've done, they do four marathons a year. Some of us would praise God just that we wouldn't get winded going from the couch to the refrigerator. <laughs> oh, oh, give me another Pepsi. You know, it's, right? But he does it. Why? Because of his son. I don't think the dad went, oh, man, this is a great way to get in shape. Woo, right? He saw the joy in his son. Now I want you to understand, take that picture. We are the ones in the wheelchair. We are the ones in the wheelchair. God is the one pushing. He says, I don't want you to focus on the handicap. I want you to focus on the joy of having a restored life. I want you to focus on on speaking with power and passion. You ever seen Team Hoyt speak? You ever seen the dad speak about his son being a part of it? The man can barely keep it together because he loves his son so much. That is a picture of what God sees for us. So are you speaking with power and passion? Are you living? Because the question for the week is this. This is what I want you to walk away. I want you to think about this. Are you an amazing failure or are you living with the handicap? Have you gone past it? Have you moved past that? Have you been restored? Have you said, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I got to do it with you. You're the only one that can. Or are you focusing so much on the mistake, on the failure that you can't get past it? I want you to understand God created you to have a relationship with him. That's why you're here. Some of you are here this morning. Your whole life has led up to this morning. Now, I know many of you are sitting there thinking, wow, that's kind of anticlimactic. I'm sitting in a church with a bald guy yelling at me. (laughs) What was God thinking, right? (laughs) Okay, this is the thought I want you to walk away with. It's because he wants you to hear this. I love you, I care for you, and I want to make you an amazing failure. See, God created us to have a relationship, but it's our sins, those things that we've done wrong that separate us from God. Those failures. And sin cannot be taken away by good deeds. You cannot work your way into heaven. You can't go to church enough. You can't read the Bible enough. You cannot walk enough people across the street to get into heaven. See, what it was was 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. He, He died a painful death, paying the price for our sins. 
And then he rose again. And everyone who trusts in him and him alone can have eternal life. That means you will spend forever and ever in heaven with God, in a relationship with him. It's, and that starts the day you believe, not the day you die. I mean, I, I want to give you a picture of eternity, okay? My friend Greg Steer uses this. He says, okay, take the earth and make the earth a steel ball, okay? And then I want you to place one little ant on that steel ball. And I want you to allow that ant to crawl around that steel ball until he crushes it to dust first day of eternity i actually had a t-shirt that i used to wear it says life isn't too short it's just that you're dead so long i know some of you will figure that out once you get home okay (laughs) but but it's this picture that god says i love you i care for you i want to take your failures and i want you to i want to make them amazing i want to use you i want to use you i want to i want to use you to do something great I mean, I'll be honest with you, I look around at us as a body of believers, as a family, and I know God doesn't want to go, oh, they're doing okay. I want him to be able to say, man, Northern California is getting shook up by the people in Northgate because something is different with them. In fact, some of your friends might go, something's wrong with you. And you say, yep, let me tell you about it. So this morning, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.